Well, it's cool rereading it because it made me see how much further I've come in terms of the language and in terms of the culture, like how much more I know and understand about this place. In shining a light on herself and her own history, it shined a light on me and my journey too. Welcome to the Bookish Expats podcast, where we discuss books that help us understand the host countries we have lived in or we're currently living in. In this episode, I had the pleasure of co-interviewing Nicole from the Expat Cast podcast with former guest of this podcast, Tatjana. Nicole chose the book Schattenfreude, which I am 99% sure I'm saying wrong, by Rebecca Schumann, and it is 99% not wrong. It is a hilarious peek into 1990s East Germany from an outsider's point of view. And let me tell you about more about that in just a second. If you are interested in starting your own podcast, then let me give you a month free. Podbean.com forward slash virtual expats is the link you want to go to. Also, I'm starting a specifically expat-related beginning podcasters online workshop. By workshop, I mean it's a resource dump. I have found tons of information online, podcasts, YouTube channels, live streams, websites, Facebook groups, you name it, for the past two and a half years. And being an expat podcasting, there's a very unique space that we kind of straddle. There are certain things, certain choices you have to make and things you have to know before you're going in. Things that's good to know before you start your process. And that's what this workshop will be. If you are an expat and you're interested in joining us, please let me know. I'm also selling my voice. No, really, I am. If you or anyone you know needs a voiceover talent, I now have a page on Voices.com. It's just Voices.com forward slash actors forward slash Steph Fuccio. What I don't charge for is the promo spots that I have in these episodes. What I want to do is provide a free space for other content creators that are producing things that selfishly I like and unselfishly that I think you'll like and that's relevant to the things we're talking about in the episode. So what is this book? that Nicole picked. It is Schattenfreuder, a love story. Here's the full title. Me, the Germans, and 20 years of attempted transformations, unfortunate miscommunications, and humiliating situations that only they have words for by Rebecca Schumann. Most importantly, Nicole read this book before she went to Germany and read it recently before we interviewed her. So many good cultural nuances in this book and it was very, very cool to talk to Nicole who's an American living in Germany right now and Tatjana who is from Germany living in India and myself who've only visited Germany very briefly once when I was 17 and once about two years ago. So it was very interesting for our three perspectives to wrap our head around Rebecca Schumann's story about life in Germany from an expat's point of view. Final thing before we dive into the interview, if you or anyone you know is an expat and a rather bookish one at that and wants to discuss a book that helped understand the local culture that they had moved into, then please do contact me. All right. Well, thank you so much. And let's get to this interview. Thank you, ladies, for joining us on Bookish Expat Season 4, the completely bookish version. With me today, I have Tatjana. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) And special guest, Nicole from the Expat Cast podcast. Hello! (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, Tatjana and I are going to pick Nicole's brain on a book that I'm completely going to mispronounce. So, Tatjana, can you help me out with the book name, please? It's Schadenfreude. (laughs) Thank you very much. By Rebecca Schumann. Is that right? She's American, so that's not up to me. (laughs) But it it sounds like a German last name. I don't know. That's true. Anyway. All right. So there's that. So, dun-dun-dun. Nicole, are you ready? 
I am so ready. All right. We've taken a page from your own podcast where you end the episode with some quick questions. And we have 10 quick questions to start this interview off. I'll do five. Then Tatjana will do five. Yeah. I've never had this turned on me. Now I'm terrified. (laughs) (laughs) Again, like you say, just answer quickly and in a short, succinct manner. We have a lot of more meaty questions for longer exchanges later on after the set. (laughs) All right. So here we go with the first five. This is more of the geographical and book background. So where have you lived in your life? Oh, okay. I know this one. I've lived in suburbs of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in America, in the U.S., um, in Charleston, South Carolina, in Chicago, Illinois, and now Freiburg, Germany. Nice. How long have you lived in Germany? Two years, almost two years. Coming up on my Deutschtag, my like anniversary of my living in Germany, and it's coming up. When is it? August, uh, beginning of August. Oh, how cool. Okay. What do you do for a living? I'm a librarian. Yay. I don't normally ask that question, but because you are a librarian, I felt that it was important for this episode. <laughs> and I always say it with that much enthusiasm, too. <laughs> <laughs> do you happen to have the book with you? Dun, 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 dun. Awesome. Can you do us a favor and read? I, I imagine the back of the book has a like two or three sentence summary-ish kind of thing. There's one on the inside book flap. Perfect. Can you read that for our listeners? Yes. Sometimes love gets lost in translation. You know that feeling you get watching the elevator doors slam just before your toxic coworker can step in or seeing a parking ticket on a Hummer? There's a word for that mix of malice and joy, and the Germans, of course, invented it. It's schadenfreude, deriving pleasure of another's misfortune. Bad luck happens to be a specialty of slate columnist Rebecca Schumann, and this is great news for Germans. For Rebecca adores the Vaterland with the kind of single-minded passions. It's folk usually reserved for beer, soccer, and being right all the time. So basically, for people who haven't read the book, like she falls in love with Germany or like becomes fascinated with the German language, moves to Germany at various points in her life, comes back to America, tries to make some stuff happen, goes back and forth, back and forth. And eventually she commits to pursuing a PhD in German and German literature. And that's where the book kind of divides off into her experience in academia, getting the PhD, and then trying to get a professor position in a super saturated market. And how did you find out about this book? I was recommended it by a coworker who was also a librarian and was really the king of book recommendations. He just knew everything. He saw it was coming out, knew I was headed to Germany, and there it was. We know a little bit about you as an expert in the book. How about you as a reader? What is the first book that you remember falling in love with, and at what age was that? Oh, okay. I don't have one that initially made me love books in general because I grew up just always reading. But the one that changed the way I think about reading was Looking for Alaska by John Green, which I read when I was maybe like 14, 15, 16, somewhere in there. And I realized through reading this book that in my head, I had two categories, books that you read in school and then books that you read for fun. And I literally, it didn't occur to me that they're the same thing and that you can analyze books for fun and that you can enjoy books for school. So that was a big moment that changed the way I looked at things and led me to become a librarian, long story short. So I'll go with that one. (laughs) Were you thinking then you might end up in a book-related working field? That's when I started to think, oh, this could be this could be something for me. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that took a lot more time, but um, was the goal. Uh, how do you interact with the, with books in terms of are you highlighting, circling things? Are you discussing them in a book club or whatever? Oh, I'm super passive these days because I used to be a little bit more engaged with the item itself, the book in your hand. I would underline it, maybe write some notes in the in the margins, but that was more high school and college when I was 
buying a lot of books. And then I went to grad school and got impressively broke and stayed that way for a while and stopped buying my own books. And you can't really like write library books. They don't like that. I learned. So yeah. um, <laughs> these days I just kind of read it and return it. <laughs> Brilliant. And uh, did that any, did it change while living overseas now that you're living in Germany, how you read, what you read, any of that? Oh, totally. Yeah. I, <laughs> I stopped wanting com books that were too, I don't know what to say, too literary, too serious. So when I moved abroad, my life was so stressful that I noticed myself naturally going to only books that were, I wanted them to be quality, but lighter. So my, my um, qualification was that I would just pick out the ones with the pretty t covers because those tended to have something behind it that worked for me. So yeah. I'm slowly coming out of that, but I went through a good year, year and a half phase where, yeah, pretty books only. That was it. <laughs> I think that's fair enough. A lot of I, I went through the same thing just because I think for for work and studies especially you were you're reading so much and uh, when you want to read then for pleasure you only read just like light stuff and that yeah. gets you out of that basically. And I felt um, very guilty about it, but <laughs> <laughs> that's perfectly fine. Yeah. We don't judge you. We read everything as well. <laughs> we don't do guilt on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. Trying to, I'm trying to force my brain to agree because I feel that way, but I don't think that way sometimes. So, <laughs> uh, you you started answering that a little bit, but what do you prefer, hardcover, paperback, ebooks, or audiobooks today? Oh, my very favorite kind of bound book is well, in the U.S., I know it as library bound, and they really don't have it outside of libraries. So it's a hardcover, but on a paperback basically. So the paperback has just like thinner cardboard as a cover, and the yeah. hardbacks have like a thicker yeah, hardcover. There's this version that's kind of both in one. So it's a smaller format, but the cover is still hard enough and it's printed directly onto the cover. Like there's not a sleeve. It's just on the book. And I found that they're way more common in Germany. In America, you can only order them through certain companies that work with libraries and, and large scale booksellers like that. So you couldn't really find it in a personal like one-to-one -one version. Here they have them pretty commonly. I don't know what you would call them though. I have never heard about that before, but that's great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably describing it poorly then because you've definitely seen it. Do you, Steph, yeah. do you know what I'm talking about? Or Well, no. the only thing I can think of is, is <laughs> some of the like really thick reference manuals I, that I've seen in libraries have kind of that binding on it. But I don't know if that's like what kind of... No, book? they do it for fiction even. So yeah, you know how a lot of times the format of a hardcover book is just like taller and a little wider and then the paperbacks are a little shorter and a little thinner than thicker. There's more pages in them, right? And so this version takes basically the format of the, the paperback book and puts a printed cover on a slightly thicker piece of cardboard that is then the cover. Do you have it's, an example around you there? No, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now, <laughs> but I, well, I don't know if this spoils any of your future questions, but I haven't bought as many books since moving here. And I'm seeing that we pretty much only have paperback or hardback but I can I'll find an example and send you guys pictures to try awesome. to explain what it means. <laughs> great as a librarian ebooks is that a complete no-no for you or I love that they exist and I love that a lot of people love them but I've never clicked with it yeah it's just a different experience from what I'm going for fair enough so last question on the quick uh, 10 question intro what was the last book that you read except obviously the one for today's show I, when I went to check out Schadenfreude from the library, I also saw this other book I'd been wanting to read for a while and I was so excited it was in. It's called An Absolutely Remarkable Thing by Hank Green, who's actually the brother of John Green, who I referenced earlier. 
they're famous YouTubers, I guess, and seem to be good at everything they do. Um, and Hank Green was a scientist, I'm pretty sure, for a long time. But now he just wrote a book, and it is so – I totally recommend it. But it's nonfiction then, right? It is fiction. It's fiction, okay. Yeah, he totally just stepped out of his little comfort zone and wrote a novel and nailed it. Oh, that's so frustrating. I mean, it's wonderful, but it's frustrating <laughs> to do that. <laughs> wow. Right? Great. So that finishes up basically the first 10 questions to get to know you as an expat, as the bookish expat, and a little bit about the book. And now we're going to speak a bit more actually about Schadenfreude. When you first read Schadenfreude, you were still in the US? Or was that before you had moved to Germany? Or So, okay, I'll give the exact timeline of how this one played out. So <laughs> I think the book came out the spring before I moved to Germany that summer. And okay. I was recommended it then, but I it wasn't in the libraries yet because they get the books a couple weeks after the release date. But I had this trip coming up. So it was in my last semester of library school. And one of my classes, I still don't believe this was real, but one of my classes was to go to Bologna, Italy and attend a children's book conference. Wow. Uh, it was the coolest thing ever. Yeah. And I was going to be traveling around with some of my librarian friends a little bit beforehand. And, you know, it was like, okay, I'm going to be in Europe again. This is the continent that I'm going to be living on soon. It was like, it had this special anticipatory feeling to it and I had I'm like a chronic saver I try to save everything that I can so I had a gift card from ages ago for Barnes and Noble which is a big bookseller in the U.S. and I went and bought Schadenfreude um, as my little like splurge treat yourself for this trip and I read it while traveling but technically while living in the U.S. Okay. Yeah. Long-winded answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's also what made this book so special to me is like it fit perfectly into this like, you know, putting myself in that mindset of what's coming next. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. Okay. That actually works still with my question very much. <laughs> Because basically before you read the book and then also before you moved to Germany, what did you know about Germany and what of that turned out to be correct and what turned out to be complete bogus? <laughs> So I moved to Germany mostly for my boyfriend is, is German and we were long distance. And so we had two years long distance before I moved over here and I'd spent three months in Germany, but yeah. I was staying at his family's house and I was like, they never gave me a key. So I was just like in their basement with their five cats the whole summer. <laughs> and it was in this tiny village where you couldn't get anywhere other than the woods. So I would sometimes sneak out the window and go on a run in the woods. So anyway, slow down, slow down. We're, we're out of the 10 quick questions. Can you back up? You were staying there for five months and they didn't give you a key three. and you were in the basement with cats. Yeah. Five cats, three months. Oh, okay. Five cats, three yeah. months. That sounds like a Stephen King uh, sort of <laughs> thrilling. <Yes. laughs> it sounds so worse than it was, but this was the most beautiful house, the most beautiful village. Like I was, and I was in the middle of such a high stress time in my life that I was so happy to just like sleep in, gotcha. do some <laughs> online work, and then just like hang out, work on my German, pet the cats. It was great, honestly, but a little weird in retrospect. Yeah. So <laughs> I have been to Germany, but I can't say that I really experienced a ton of Germany through that experience. <laughs> Um, so, and I'd been taking some classes, like learning the language and there in the classes, they always tell you these like cultural things, but of mm -hmm. course you never know if it's like the textbook tells us to talk about discotheques. So we're talking about discotheques, but no one would really call it that these days, you know, like some of the stuff's just outdated, but some of it's totally true. And I, I didn't necessarily know that yet. So reading this book was really cool because it was able to sort of start to confirm or deny some of those assumptions and then built up 
new ones for me. So, I mean, oh God, reading it back, there was like, I took a, a couple notes of things that I was just like, yeah, I remember that being like hitting me then being like, yeah, that's such a thing. Like, well, yeah, obviously the punctuality. I almost said that goes without saying, but it doesn't. <laughs> I'll say it. Very punctual people. And I am not. So this has been fun. And then she mentions in here somewhere the, oh, I did write it down. That says fork. I can't read my own handwriting. One-handed fork holding. Like in the US, I guess <laughs> a lot of people do this and it's not just me. You like, your one hand is under the table. Your other hand, you're just using the fork. And if you really, really, really oh. need a knife, if you can't wiggle it apart with your fork, then maybe you get like a butter knife, right? Yeah. But that's it. And that's kind of the end of the signalization of what you're doing with your utensils. But here you use both. Your hand should be on the table. If it's under the table, that's a little fishy. When you're done eating, you put your fork and knife on the one side to indicate that you're done. If you want more, you leave it open. I didn't know any of this. And I don't remember <laughs> actually picking it up when I read it the first time. I don't think I'd identified that as something in my life. But I know looking back, I was doing that when I was staying with those family friends because yeah. we had dinner together every night and they would feed me so much food. And I was like... I guess I'll keep eating because I don't want to be rude, but it turns out I was signaling to them through my utensils that I wanted more. Anyway, yeah, the whole, like, this is such a little thing that since living here, I've been like, oh my God, yes, this is a thing that I have talked about with, especially my American friends, that we didn't know we were weird or, you know, doing something wrong until, wrong by their cultural understanding until it was pointed out to me like in this book this is so brilliant that you bring that up because i am german and I, when i read that in the book i was like oh come on this can't be this this dramatic but it is, it is. <laughs> it is. and this of the fork i remember when i was backpacking in, in western europe and all the europeans around the table when i switched my fork to use a knife and then switch it back to eat they all just kind of went <laughs> You, you do do that. We thought that was a joke. And I'm like, wait, what just happened? I'm like, really? So real. <laughs> they actually, this is so funny. I, at one point in the summer of, of seeing with these, this family, they were like, yeah, we, like, we're just spending so much money buying all this food for you guys. You guys eat so much. <laughs> I was like, I'm only eating so much because you put it on my plate. And I didn't, we never closed like miscommunication loop where it turns out they were doing that because I was quote unquote asking for more. And then, yeah, it was super funny. Just one of those things that you're like, how are we tangled right now? And, <laughs> and this it. is so funny because now like I am living in India and Stephanie is living in China where the whole table manners are again, completely different. And uh, you always think, well, you know, in the West, basically clubbing everything together, that is Europe and the US, it's all the same, but no, it's not. <laughs> and that's the thing you sometimes think, I think that's the thing that this book did really well is for me that Germany and the U.S. don't seem that far apart, right? Like a lot of Germany is new and, and like the buildings are very newly built, like post-World War II, a lot of them. And so they have a lot of high quality modern amenities, right? Yeah. The cultures are somewhat similar, especially like pop culture in Germany. Mm. They watch so much American pop culture, yes. which is another thing. Like I wrote down that she talks about how they watch the Germans watch like the worst American sitcoms. Like they don't watch the ones that we actually like. Like they're super obsessed with like friends and big bang theory ones that I'm like, I mean, people like them, but not like out to this. Level. Do you love those? I, I grew to like friends. Okay. Yeah. Friends is not a, yeah, friends is it. not a thing in the U S. Oh I yeah. It is. It's massively. It, a thing. It, the thing is, yeah, friends yeah, yeah. is very sort of Nicole, like we, when you were describing about 
feeling guilty about liking lighter books, Friends is a very non-thinky, light sitcom. It's definitely not cerebral. You don't turn it on to be stimulated. You turn it on to turn off. That's probably what works intercultural because A, you can translate mm -hmm. it. Obviously, everything in Germany is dubbed. So you need to translate all that. And the wordier it gets, the, the trickier it probably is. And then if you have too many cultural references or, or pop culture references that are just purely American, mm -hmm. that wouldn't translate either into German. So probably that's one of the reasons why Friends does work so well here in Germany. And because Big Bang Theory is insanely popular in China, and there are so many references, American references, and I do not understand how it's... I mean, I'm guessing the comfort level with being sort of geeky and introverted might be the connection, but I, I'm not sure. That's very confusing. That's true. <laughs> it's, yeah, and I, I don't mean to say that those shows like aren't big in the US or that they shouldn't be. Like It's just that there is a huge love, and like that would be a thing that people would ask me about. You know, They'd be like oh, like, you're from the U.S., like, oh, like, do people really go to the, the bar every night, like, in How I Met Your Mother, whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> what? It's just a next, it's another level of love that I'm, I was not expecting. So yeah. anyway, this is all to say the <laughs> pop culture in America carries over a lot to Germany, not entirely, but a lot of it. And so it's easy on the surface to, like, travel through and think, not that different. I could do this. And it's really only the more you stay there and the deeper you sink in the German language and the German culture that you start to see all of these little things that really mount up where I know a lot of people who have lived all over the world say adjusting to Germany has been one of the hardest things just because it's, it's deceptively different. And I think that the author did a really good job in this of, of expressing that where at the beginning, it's all like sort of these surface level things that are similar or not, and it's all good and fine. And then the longer she engages with Germany and lives there and, and et cetera, the more she's like, oh, like this is a thing that I wasn't prepared for. And that's the thing that's different. Did you notice it, anything that she experienced? I don't want to say that Rebecca Schumann was wrong, but did you, did you notice anything that Rebecca experienced or wrote in the book that you not disagree with, but that you haven't experienced and find a little bit hard to relate to any of the culture? that for them there might have been things that they didn't stand out for me too badly because I was like she was experiencing such a different Germany than the one that I've known so I'm living right now in, in 2019 in Freiburg Germany in the far southwest corner and she was living in the early 90s and she was in a couple other cities but a lot of the book is about her time in Berlin and this was very shortly after the fall of the wall and that is I mean, that was to me one of the coolest things about this book. It's like time traveling and looking at this specific moment where, I don't know, like I was born in 1992. So when the wall fell, that was before my time. And so I grew up being like, oh yeah, that was a thing. I know, I know you guys are making faces. I know. <laughs> I officially feel old now. That was in my high school yearbook for the, one of the really? year. Yeah. So we probably also have totally different, like, thoughts in our mind about that but you know it's like kids today like 9-11 is a thing that they learn about in history class not a thing they experienced same for me with this whole change in Europe like I knew it happened but I didn't really think about the impact and I've been so fascinated with that as of late like that decade the decade since and really just how how recent that whole history is and hearing what it was like for an outsider to be there discovering it all you know Berlin is still really cool these days but it's like I think were we saying the other day that when we talked to Tatiana that it's like bars that tried to look like the east you know like they tried yeah. to call back to these old times but it, the times have just developed past that and so in the book what she was experiencing in eastern berlin are just going to be pretty different than what i'm experiencing and i think the thing that stood out to me more was just how much i have experienced a lot of the same stuff to different degrees right like the 
maybe she, I've never lived in a, a vegay, which is a Wohngemeinschaft where mm-hmm. they all live together. I've never done that, but I know people who have, so I know it exists, but she was really way deeper in that than I was. Right, right, right. But you were saying that just fits in so perfectly because you were saying the east of Berlin and so forth. Now you're living in what, from the Berlin point of view, is the deepest, deepest west. Um, <laughs> and there is a whole chapter in the book actually dedicated to what is called nostalgie, which is the love that Germans, some Germans anyway, have for the former east, basically. Um, have you encountered any uh, sort of references to basically former west, former east and anything that i've definitely encountered people talking about the differences and well okay so i've met some people who their families from the east and hearing their family history is just like oh wow okay D- totally different than what you hear from a lot of family histories on the west i've heard about a lot of people make comments about the the tax <laughs> there's like a <laughs> what is it, uh-huh. or something yeah where yeah. when the reunification happened there was a tax implemented to help support the I guess, rebuilding or modernizing of the East. And that text still exists today. But I've heard some West German people say like, but as soon as you drive into the East, the, the roads are so great. When tax money, they're just using it to, you know, we need the, the money, whatever. They bicker over this. So I know that yeah. for sure. And I think it's becoming more and more clear to me now that I'm working in a public library in Germany and my the people I work with are a lot older often, like the, the public that comes in that I interact yeah. with. And I think that they would maybe be more outspoken about this kind of ostology, like this longing for the, the East. And also I'm responsible for buying the books in the library for politics and society, Gesellschaft. Is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And the like sociology basically. And there's a lot of books that come out about the East and about the Eastern, the women from the East. I think this is really fascinating. Like a lot of people talk about feminism through the lens of the DDR And I don't know if they're longing for it or if they're just saying, look at all, you know, 30 years out, look at all of these examples we have of really powerful women, Angela Merkel being the easiest example, who grew up in the East and then are very at a different point with their experiences of equality or their feelings about themselves in society than people who grew up in a different environment. I can see that. But I think Ostalgy in Germany is very sort of like a wave. It comes and goes. And a couple, like 10 years maybe back, there was a huge movie that came out on that topic. So that sort of brought that up again. And now I think with feminism being quite sort of a thing out there, it's just another take that you can take that historical period on. Yeah. What, was, what was the movie? The movie, oh dear lord, I'll check that out and I'll let you know. It was actually a movie that was depicting the former East Berlin mm-hmm. and what life was in there because, very funny, because there's so many prejudices from the East about the West and from the West mm-hmm. about the East, obviously, and neither of them or most of them would never know what life was like in the other on the other side. So this movie depicts that very, very nicely. It's a fun, like, it's a comedy. It's nothing serious and everybody gets shot or something. But it's a very, very realistic view in that uh, East Germany. Hey there. So this is Steph again. I just wanted to let you guys know that the movie that they were talking about is Salen Ali. It's S-O-N-N-E-N-A-L-L-E-E. I'll put the link in the show notes 
to the trailer so you can take a look at that. It looks really good and it's going on my movie list. But I want to veer off into podcast land for just a moment to give you a referral, a podcast referral, as I always do. A podcast I really, really, really like. It's called Varmits. And I have to say it like that because it has an exclamation mark at the end of it. Hey, my name's Paul, and I'm not an animal expert. I'm Donna, and I'm not an animal expert either. And together we do a podcast about animals called Varmints. Every week we pick an animal, do a bunch of research on it, and bring you some interesting facts about that animal. But we don't stop there. We talk about that animal in movies, TV, and other pop culture. And we talk about whether or not that animal would make a tasty dish, and how intelligent we think it is on the scale of 1 to 10. It's exactly like one of those fancy PBS nature documentaries. Except with more poo jokes! New episodes go live every Thursday wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Or you can visit us at BlazingCaribouStudios.com. <laughs> Varmints! Varmints! <laughs> <laughs> They have so many good ones to choose from. It's ridiculous. Like, I could go with a pretty one, like a dragonfly, which was a really great episode. And I have to admit, that's about when I started listening. So let's start there, since that's where I started. So we'll start with dragonflies. So that was episode 92. So that's number one. Number two on the recommendations that I have for varmints. I'm going to go with black bears because that was a really fun one to do too. And the third one is a no-brainer. This is... (laughs) I was laughing hysterically on the Metro when I was listening to this one. This one's without Donna, unfortunately, but it's Paul with a bunch of creepy collie creatures. He did a live stream for The Cure 3.0, which is a fundraiser for cancer research that was organized by Nick and Justin from the Epic Film Guys, which is another great podcast. I'm telling you, podcasts beget podcasts. There's no way to talk about one podcast without bringing in like six others. Anyway, I don't want to spoil it for you, but Paul does something very, very brave and gooey and gross for, well grows from a Western point of view. (laughs) So he does something very interesting to get donations for that good cause. So that is the live stream for The Cure 3.0. And as as of right now, it is the latest episode, but they come out on Thursday. It's Wednesday for me. So there's, it's going to be the second latest episode by the time you hear this. (laughs) <laughs> so that it, that came out on July 4th. Oh, that came out on July 4th. There's all kinds of goodness with this. So yeah, so those are the three episodes that I recommend starting with. Get in there and start listening because Paul and Donna are wonderful human beings and wonderful podcasters. Let's get back to some other wonderful human beings. And I guess I'm in that category because it's Nicole, Tatiana, and I having this conversation. So let's do this. It is a love story, as we mentioned before, and the language-loving side of me picked up on a couple of things specific to heartbreak that Rebecca talked about, one of which would feel slightly awkward to say with a German present. Sorry, Tatiana. No, no, go ahead. (laughs) She did approve this, I swear. Uh, But in the book, uh, Rebecca wrote, quote, to this day, I am not sure even how Germans produce, unquote, and she was talking about the lack of physical touching comfort level, and I was just curious without revealing more than you're comfortable with what your reaction (laughs) to this or your experiences in Germany as an expat. Okay. I am confused about this topic Mm. generally because like nudity, they love being naked all the time as much as possible in public. Totally. Okay. But yeah, touching and like physicality and warmth and like romance. 
little bit less so. But then on the other hand, like <laughs> this is stuff I sometimes don't even notice anymore. But like my when my parents were visiting, we were waiting in line for something, and the people in front of us, they were an older couple, not old old, but like maybe my parents' age, maybe like in their sixties, and the guy had his hand in the pocket of the girl's jeans the whole time, like kind of grabbing the booty. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even notice that. I was like, all right, whatever. That's comfortable for them. And my parents were like, oh my gosh, like, in, like that's really, ooh, that's really pushing it. <laughs> because by American standards, that is a little like, you don't go for the anything below the belt, you know, <laughs> in public or you're, you're being showy. So there's stuff like that where they, they are. And I see a lot of couples, especially above the age of I don't know maybe like 40 like I feel like in the U.S. like couples kind of stop being affectionate openly to the Mm -hmm. outer world and maybe also personally once they like are together for a while they have kids maybe they have all these other things and they're like less loving in public here I see a lot more people kissing doesn't matter what age like they're a couple they're out together they're being affectionate in some way but I mean, I totally get where she's coming from. I think, like, I think she said that satirically, right? Like to make a point extreme to drive it home. And yeah, I, I kind of do see that to a certain extent. Like I know that the cultural attitudes, attitudes towards sex are totally different, especially for young people, what have you. But you sometimes look at these people and like, they're not like, they are pretty unflexible, like pretty rigid in comparison to what I'm used to, right? And so I, I can see what, where there's this, like, such a, like, a stereotype, but, like, the air of coldness more than warmth. And so for someone who's used to love and romance being this warm, mushy thing, and then seeing people who aren't that way, it's, like, kind of hard to imagine, like, mm-hmm. what? <laughs> that, you know, they get that way ever? <laughs> <laughs> but this is, I think you're making a fantastic point because I never really could get that straight either, that whole FKK, uh, the free cr- freie Körperkultur, where basically Germans go on the beach and completely naked, and that's fine. But then in, in other situations, it's so stiff and cold. But I think it's really that, that as long as you're not close to somebody and you don't know them so mainly in a professional background it's all very very distant so if you meet somebody it takes a long time to the moment that you would actually hug somebody or that that right left kiss thing basically however once that does happen so once you're in a relationship or uh, when once you do have made friends etc then it becomes a lot less strict and a lot a lot more comfortable and sort of warm for sure, for sure. And even in the US, I think the the touchy-feely vibe is very different from place to place. I think in some places yeah. people will hug people sooner, they'll they'll do public displays of PDA, public displays of affection. Yeah, they'll do that soon, you know, a lot more. It just really depends on the the context and the people. But I just thought that was I thought that was clever. It was meant more as humor than as a t- cultural judgment. <laughs> I yeah. <laughs> almost nothing about I've spent all of maybe three weeks in Germany in total in my life. So I'm just the observer today. Okay. So <laughs> while we're speaking about sort of things that are in the book and I personally would just like to ask, she does bring up that Germans don't shower much. <laughs> and I'm bringing up that question more to give our lovely interviewee Nicole the chance to uh, rectify that. <laughs> I get your hint. 
I pick up that there's a correct answer to this. <laughs> that actually stood out to me too, because slightly other related hygiene stereotype or misconception. My dad, when he was in high school, they had a, a German exchange student at a school and they had a, like a swimming class and okay. she was swimming, whatever, had her arms up and he saw that she didn't shave her armpits. And so since then he's like, that's a German thing. And he's brought it up a couple of times. And to me, it's exactly the opposite. Like the men shave their armpits, the men shave lots of other things that I like their, their chest. Sorry, that sounded weird. Just their, their chest. <laughs> I mean, like, they're more into priming. Priming? Yeah, that's a word that I read in books a lot, but I never use out loud. And now I got caught trying to use it. (laughs) They're more interested in how they look and looking smooth and put together than American men. And so, to me, and like the women, a lot, I mean, it's individual to individual, but I don't experience a culture of not shaving. Same goes with that. Maybe it was true more back then, but people shower here. Like what seems to me normal. The only difference is there's not air conditioning. So in the summer, some people are a little stinkier, but I couldn't, I guess that would have been a good one to bring up earlier when you asked me if there's anything that stood out that wasn't true. Like, yeah, I haven't really experienced that as an issue outside of when you work in a library, you meet a lot of people who come from different walks of life and some of them don't really shower. (laughs) Nothing to do with Germany and more to do with housing situations. Yeah. And Nicole, you said on your podcast, you said that your library is not air conditioned. I'm yeah. still thinking about that. Me too. In the park, yeah. <laughs> there's, oh, yeah. There's a couple people who come regularly and I know that they, for whatever reason, are not showering regularly. And it's normally whatever. You can just kind of wait till they're in their spot and carry on. But when you're closed into this little box and it's just, mm-hmm. oh, it's just baking within itself. Wasn't great, but I am also a person who sometimes likes to skip a shower in favor of sleeping in for ten more minutes. And in that way, I'm like, well, fine, I can do that, and no one's going to notice because we're all sweaty and gross anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so the problem is that the immigrants here don't shower. Me, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> too funny, too funny. Oh, here I go again with the language part. Just full disclaimer: I took German in high school, and that was a very long time. Before you were born, Nicole, that's when that was. <laughs> and I remember none of it because I was a horrible student. It had nothing to do with the language itself. However, I have developed a liking for analyzing languages, even if I can't speak anything other than English at this point. Going back to the author in the book, she and heartbreak again, she mentions that in German, heartbreak in English means literally love grief. That was a part that I loved is when she touched on moments like that in the book. Were there any language things that you noticed in the book that you were like, yes, I love that. That's a gem of mine, too. There were several. I mean, she used them as the titles of the chapters. So let me just flip through real fast because there are so such good ones. Yeah. Okay. Table of contents. There's still some I don't know. That was what was qu- kind of cool, I guess, reading through. Like, uh, Jugendsunde is not a word that I use no Hmm. i'm gonna have to look what it means right now or you can tell us tatiana (laughs) yeah Yeah. i think that would be probably something that is much more used of coming from an older adult telling somebody in their use so youth basically means a sin that you commit in your use and it's usually used not as a proper like sin as in something serious but just something foolish that you did when you were young and yeah because like, you know, like that boyfriend you had back then, the first boyfriend that was a like typical Jungsinner, basically. Mm-hmm. There was a couple that she used this title, 
chapter titles. There we go. Yeah, I definitely was like, yeah, I love that word. I'm glad that this is getting a shout out. Sprachgefühl, which is like the feeling for a language. And they talk about that a lot, especially when you're learning the language. They're like, you know, learning the articles, you could study it, but really over time you build the Sprachgefühl, you learn, build this impulsive for language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But it's way prettier to, or like cooler to be like Sprachgefühl than like that feeling, you know, you know what I mean? Uh, Lebensraum, which yeah, that one got a little used by some people incorrectly, mm-hmm. but that is a thing. Like I remember once I asked someone, I was like, I have been so uncomfortable because I'll be in the line at the grocery store. And this happened multiple times where a man with a very large tummy would be standing behind me too closely so that his stomach would like bump up against me. And mm-hmm. I was like, no, no, thank you. No, thanks. But I didn't know what to say. If I could say something culturally, if that's like appropriate, or if we should all just like cuddle on up and embrace each other. I was like, I don't know. So I asked someone, I was like, this is happening. What can I say something? And if so, what? And they told me, yeah, it's, it's totally normal to ask for some, ein bisschen Lebensraum bitte, like a little space for me, please. Or a bisschen Abstand would also be probably better because Lebensraum. Some of these words, like, yeah, you got to keep sensitivity with history and whatnot. But yeah, I think if you're able to separate that from the history, like it's a yeah. nice word. <laughs> and then, well, of course, Schadenfreude, that's like the biggest one that Americans know. And it's not used as frequently as I would like, but it's definitely a solid example of, of the German language. And there's so many other ones, like the funny ones, like Krankenhaus, like the sick house is a hospital. <laughs> An airplane is a Flugzeug, a fly thing. <laughs> oh my. See, and that's, that's what I loved about this book, because some of those words, I would never as a German think about the words Krankenhaus or the hospital or uh, Flugzeug, plane. It's just, that's what you learn, right? That's your language. Yeah. You, you just use it. It's there. But it's true. Once you pick that apart, it becomes so much more obvious that some of them are really strange. <laughs> well, I've had the funny experience a couple times recently of learning a German word and being like, that's so goofy and literal. And then being like, oh, wait, that's what it is in English, too. But it's the same thing where I never thought about the words. Like, the most recent example is straw mm-hmm. that you drink out of. Someone was like, yeah. I was asking them what the word was. And, of course, it took a while to get there because they don't really use them as frequently here as in the U.S. It's in everything. But we got there, and she was like, oh, and I forget what it's called, but what is it? Strohhalm. Strohhalm, yeah. And what it basically, I mean, it translates to straw as in hay, And I was like, that's so weird. And then I was like thinking about it. What is in English? All oh, right, straw. Straw isn't just a word for the plastic thing. It came from the word for the hay. These are the same thing. I just think the one's weird and the other's normal. But this is probably how it is for you reading yeah. this and being like, is that a funny word? Like, Wohngemeinschaft. That's such a, it's a vague A. It's a people living together. You just use it all the time. You don't even think of it. And then you're like, oh, I guess that is. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny for some reason I wrote down when she was talking about uh, when she first went there and she was in a hotel and she tried to tell them that her bed would not open and she said to them my my bed is closed and I wrote down specifically what she said and she was like it's a matter of possession context and temporary versus existential state I'm like wow (laughs) and then she went in to explain it and I was like that's That's a lot to deal with just to say, I can't sleep because the cot's not opening. (laughs) This is the thing. I literally had this conversation yesterday with some friends who are at various stages of learning German. Like, 
you have to get to a B two C one level of the language before you can actually have a basic conversation effectively. Because of little things like that, like when you're starting to learn the language, you get one little thing wrong, and it's a totally different meaning. It's it's such a precise language, and I was arguing that there's like this magical golden space where you're at like late B two, where、yes. you know enough that people won't switch to English. But you're bad enough that they're expecting you to make mistakes, and so they're prepared to be like doing mental acrobatics to figure out what you're actually saying.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> I advanced past that recently, and now I'm good enough where they don't think I'm going to make. Well, yeah, great. Except for now, they think I'm going to make less mistakes, and so when I do something like that and say that that is closed wrong, I use the wrong form of closed, then all of a sudden they're like, "What are you talking about?" And I'm like, come on, like, like you don't know. I know it's not perfect, but don't you know what I mean? And they really don't. Like, it's not people being like, whatever. It's genuinely like one tiny little mistake is a totally different meaning. It's all built on like prefixes, suffixes, and pronouns, and then all of this other existential stuff. As you're mentioning your trip through the German language, basically, how long have you been learning now? About four years. Yeah, really more seriously, only three. But it, yeah, three, three and a half years into very seriously, diligently learning it to feel decent at it. Because in the book, the author mentions right that there is this scale of the how difficult languages are to learn, basically internationally for for an English speaking national, and German is supposedly on number two. So there's very easy languages in category one, and then there's German already in number two. Now, obviously, the script is the same, which makes it easier already to basically start in the language. But other than that, as a German speaker, I would never want to learn that language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it is a big. It's wonderful and beautiful language, and I love the precision. But at the same time, it, as an expat, it does make it really hard for people because, yeah, like the conversation I was having yesterday was people saying like I've been learning it for so long now, and I still can't even feel confident asking for something, you know. And it's really a barrier to integration. But of course, one that is worth pushing through because it's the German language. You're in Germany. Like very few people I know. Are anti-learning German if they're serious about living here, but you get people like a couple of my friends were only here for like two to three years, and she was on international trips for a lot of that. So was he. So they never really learned good German, and they got to the point where they were like, "Should I stay? Should I go?" And they were like, "Well, let's go because we're not the language is not working for us." And in people like that, people who study abroad, all of this, like they're not really realistically going to pick it up that quickly, and、yeah. and so it's a challenge. How has it been? Because I also always remember that there are certain words that sound very diff- same or are the same, in fact, but are used differently. Like for instance, handy. Handy in English is like practical. Something is practical, basically. Oh, this is very handy. But the handy in German is actually a mobile phone. Give me my like. Give me my handy, my mobile、yeah. phone. Have you experienced any of that sort of any trouble so with?、Many. Yeah, so many. And it's always it's so weird because you have to first off, I can't. Say the English words like an English person, like an American or an English speaker would, because then they don't know what you're saying. You have to do like this, like German accent. Like you can't say marketing; you have to say like marketing. <laughs> Which I am not over. Like I think it's ridiculous, but it's funny, so it's good. Yeah, but there are some things where I get frustrated. Where I'm like, you're taking the English word, but you're doing it wrong. <laughs> <Yeah> . <laughs> Well, since we're talking about things that are wrong, let's talk about things that are right. Very, very right. I have three words for you: podcast, bridge club. 
If you listen to any or all of my podcasts, you probably have heard me talk about them before. Here is Adela to tell you more about the podcast Brunch Club. Hi, podcast listener. So I have a question for you. Have you ever found yourself starting a sentence with, so I heard on a podcast... And do the people that you say that to stare blankly back at you or roll their eyes? Then you should join Podcast Brunch Club. My name is Adela, and I founded Podcast Brunch Club. It's like book club, but for podcasts, and it's a global community of podcast listeners. We have over 60 chapters across six continents that meet up in person to discuss a thematic set of podcasts every month. The themes have ranged from laughter and comedy to the death penalty, and it's a great way to discover new podcasts, learn something new, and meet new people that live near you. We also have a podcast for those who can't attend in person or who want to dive deeper into each topic and hear from the podcasters we feature. Find out more at podcastbrunchclub.com. So just so you know, the listening lists are going to be in our show notes, or you can go to podcastbrunchclub.com forward slash listening hyphen. That's the one in the middle, not the top and off the bottom. Lists with an S and that's it. Okay. The language one from March, 2019. I do remember that one being really fun to talk about in the group because each listening list comes with about three or four different podcasts. Actually, since I normally recommend three episodes, I think I might actually stop with that one. That's also where I learned about the Ologies podcast, which if you're not listening to it, Ellie Ward, my gosh, is she a podcasting and just, oh my gosh, is she an amazing, amazing person. The language one from March of 2019. I think you should start there. Also, I have a special surprise for you. I just this week interviewed Della for the Virtual Expats podcast. So you can hop on over to that podcast. Actually, you don't have to anymore because they're all going to be consolidated on this very same place. Virtual Expats, Changing Scripts, and Bookish Expats are all going to exist in the same place from now on. Adele is coming out in the fall, so stay tuned. I'll be sure to let you know before her episode comes out. But my goodness, it was such a fun conversation to have with her. So Podcast Brunch Club, seriously, either go to a meeting, listen to the podcast, or just cry because you are being pod solitude. And there's no reason at all in this day and age to be a solo podcast listener. Unless you want to, but I know you like I can sense it in you. All right. Hey, speaking of people, let's get back to the three people having the conversation about Schattenfreude, shall we? I was wondering how it was for you, Steph, reading the book, because she uses a lot of German and sometimes it's explained, but sometimes it's not. And so was that a barrier for you? reading the book as someone who doesn't speak the language? I, I grew up not understanding languages around me. So I have lived in a petrol state my entire life of not knowing what's going on around me. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm such a bad language learner, because I'm just so used to not knowing that when I'm in a place and I can understand something, I'm like, wait, this is so distracting. <laughs> so no, if, if anything, it made her descriptions... Uh, when she didn't just drop and she, when she dropped and explained, it made those really, really poignant for me. So I really liked that. Good. Yeah, that was one thing that I worry about recommending this book to people. I'm like, is it too alienating if you feel like, because sometimes it'll just be used in context, just one book, like one word. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure if that would be, well, and I guess everyone's different, right? Like maybe you have a high threshold for that and someone else might have a lower, but that is something that stood out to me both times I read it, especially because I said some of the words, I mean, most of the ones she uses in context are fine, yeah. but a lot of the words aren't ones that you learn right away. So even as a German learner, it could be it a little jarring. It didn't that often. I don't know. I, I would figure someone who would read would have a certain tolerance for just for running across words they didn't know no matter what language it was. True. 
I think. I wonder if maybe I was more sensitive to it because I was reading it when I was like, at this point, I think I was at like A2, B1 German Uh and I felt like I should know a lot of Mm -hmm. things and coming across stuff that I was like, do I know that? Do I not? Maybe I was, you know, extra critical in that sense. Language guilt. It's really. (laughs) (laughs) Nicole, have you ever quoted the book in conversation? Maybe not exactly word for word, but situations or some of her terminology or anything? I've definitely referenced it. I'm not, I have a terrible memory. So quoting things is always off the table for me. (laughs) (laughs) But I have definitely made reference to especially some of the stories or even some of the feelings. Like I think she does a good job of giving you an atmosphere. And I think that I've referenced, but I don't know. I can't think of like specific examples. Have you ever recommended it to a German friend? I don't know if I have. I've recommended it. I think I recommended it. (laughs) Yeah, Tatiana. (laughs) I love this. (laughs) I remember when I started working at the American Library, where I worked the first year I lived here, I noticed that they didn't have it. And I think I recommended that they buy it, but they did end up getting it. And I can't remember if that had anything to do with me or not. So I don't want to take false credit. But once it was there, I think that would be something that I would recommend to the readers that would come in, regardless of where they're from, because it's totally, you know, up the alley of anyone who's living in Germany. But I think I should... I should recommend it more because it would be really fun to see what people think and how they react. It would be very cool. And if you get reactions, please do social media as the reactions because I'm very curious. <laughs> I mean, we yeah. have an end of one. Tatiana has already shared some of her impressions of the book, but I'd like a bigger sample set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Fair enough. <laughs> so Tatiana found Rebecca Schumann on social media. And it looks like she's pretty active on social media. I think we're both following her at this point. So no, Nicole, that when I ask the next question, we could maybe sort of forward it on to her to see if she'll reply. <laughs> no pressure. <there. laughs> so if you could ask the author or less high stakes, any character in the book, any question, what would it be? That is a good question. Yeah. I, uh, I think I would be curious because we, okay. Question, this is maybe a little bit like to like talking about craft or something, not craft, but like the book takes a turn in the last quarter or so and, and goes more like less talking about German, Germany, et cetera, and more talking about like academia, mm-hmm. which I was also really interested in. But I thought that those are kind of two different audiences. There's a lot of more overlap, but person who reads it for academia would be maybe less interested in the beginning. People who read it for German stuff would maybe be less interested by the academia. So I was just kind of interested in that choice because I think. I can't imagine it went through without people bringing that question up in the editing process um, or her asking herself, like what, you know, I think it's a choice and I just would be interested in hearing about what went behind that choice. But I don't know if that's too like, you know, meta, like asking about the book instead of the content. <laughs> it's, it's pretty blunt on social media. So I'm, I'm guessing there would be an cool. answer there, but honestly we touch and I had conversations about this when we hit that part of the book and we we're kind of thinking it felt like two different books yeah. Personally, I was cheering on her when she was dissing academia before she got to that point where it's all she talked about. And then I was like, okay, now it's too much. So yeah. it, was, it was like the balance was really good in the beginning love story part. And then I felt like it went a little too far over. I think I would agree. Yeah, I was, well, especially being like finishing up grad school at the time that I read this and having a lot of opinion, academia in general, and like the state of academics in America, I'm down for that kind of content. But yeah. I did leave the book feeling like, oh, I kind of wish we carried through more like what was going on with her relationship to Germany as she starts to build her life in a non-German 
place, context, et cetera. I mean, she's still obviously super active in like through online, through her translation work. Like obviously she's connected to it, but I would rather hear more about that, I think, in this book. Mm-hmm. And then I want to read a lot of long, like ranting essays online about academia. Cause like, I'm down, I'm down. To <laughs> Follow. Okay. There's a few, the professor is in and oh, Jorge Chan has a really good comic strip. And for some reason right now, I can't remember the comic strip, but I can remember him. Uh, PhD comics. Those are two different things. Do I know them? Yeah. The professor is in is a blog by, I think an ex academic who helps people deal with their life post academia. And she, her blog often calls academia out on the ridiculous things that they're doing. Like volunteer professors apparently is now a thing in the U S volunteer professors full on force load, but not getting paid at all. Not even adjuncting, but volunteering. Yeah. So she writes stuff like that. And then also tries to help people transition to a quote unquote regular career after academia. Poor no, I, don't, I don't know either of them, but yeah. they sound really I'm going to send you both of these, but <laughs> then we hang up. <laughs> and Jorge does a wonderful comic strip called PhD Comics, where he's constantly poking fun at uh, academia in the US. And it also, there's also been two movies to come out of the comics. And they're wow. The first is funnier than the second, which normally happens, and yeah. uh, they're both equally funny. So, yeah, listeners, I'll put those in the show notes. Anyway, Tatjana, you finished reading the book a few weeks ago. What is your reaction to the end of it now? Do you feel the same way? Yes, I still feel the same way, and I completely agree with Nicole as well that especially when you read the cover, it's very wordy. There's a lot of text yeah. on the cover, and it's schadenfreude and something, something. The entire text really sets you up brilliantly for the first part of the book, like the two-third probably, first two-third, where it's really about the language and those words that are very unique to the German language and her experience, the author's experience in Germany, living there and learning the language, etc., etc. So for me, not having an academia background at all myself, the last part got really sort of out there, which I didn't really, because she's still teaching German at that point. So there's like that little string that still attaches to the other, to the rest of the book. But other than that, I really couldn't figure out how that those two books belong together. And so I agree with Nicole that it really feels like two separate books actually could have written on that. Yeah. Nicole, how would you finish the book if you were the author? If you stopped before the academia got too much, how would you have finished it? The questions that I had once she committed to America, like I wonder, did that feel like a commitment? Like did that feel like I've made the choice, I'm going to be here now? And if so, what went into that? Like I know so many people, especially when they're starting to think about like marriage and kids, lean more towards Germany because those things are, there's more social support here. And she met her husband in the States so it makes sense that they were there. But I, I wonder, like, did that come up? Did that, did you ever think about maybe we'll move back to try life there, especially after all these bound, like these challenges that were just specific to America. And I wonder too, like, what was her relationship with that? Like, like, what was she thinking about? Like, how am I going to integrate the things I love about Germany to my life here today? What was going on in her classrooms that she was teaching? Um, what kind of questions were coming up? All these kind of things. So like, obviously, it's her memoirs. You can't change what happened, but you can change where you zoom in. And I think I would rather zoom into those kind of like personal choices, cultural questions, that aspect of things. And that's felt like where it was going. So I think that's, I think, Editor Nicole, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> 
That was what I initially wanted to do once I read that book back in high school and changed my life plan. It was like, because I wanted to be an editor, but they have to work a lot of overtime and I don't love that idea. So here we are. <laughs> you were thinking of changing your life because of the book? No, no, no. The book I mentioned way in the beginning that changed my opinion about books in general. Yeah. What I oh. landed on as a career idea after reading that was that I wanted to be an editor for mm. specifically for young adult novels and, and that didn't happen, but. Yeah, but look at me using my, <laughs> my <laughs> former editor. There's plenty of time. Ones. Yeah, people have three, <laughs> yeah, four, yeah. five, and ten careers these days, so there's plenty totally. of time. And now you've got two languages that you can be editor in. Oh, God, don't make me edit in German. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I'm assuming you've read the book twice, the first time before you moved to Germany and very recently. Yes. What about the book helped you about your expat journey? Well, it's cool rereading it for this podcast because it made me see how much further I've come in terms of the language and in terms of the culture, like how much more I know and understand about this place. But it also just helped me like in shining a light on herself and her own history, it shined a light on me and my journey too. You know, I think yeah. what's so relatable about this book is like this whole thing started because she had a crush in high school and this guy liked Kafka because he was like a high school cool kid and was like, not cool kid, God, that's super nerdy. But like, you know what I mean? Like the arts yeah, yeah. soul was like Kafka, wow. And she was like, I also love Kafka, Kafka then, you know, like I've so been there. And the fact that that one little insignificant relationship like spawned her whole life yeah <laughs> I feel like so many of us I mean that wasn't my story but we all have equally huge outcomes from such minuscule events and her her perfectionism her like chasing the desire to be to prove her intelligence to to become accomplished and all that is just so relatable and then at the same time when she gets there being this like smug little like I'm living in like a apartment with young people instead of a family stay, you know, like she sort of is braggy and, and yeah. that book, you know, she's like writing it now as an adult, she's self-referential and calls her out on her past selves quirks. Yeah. That. <laughs> That's I loved that. And it helped me see like, I'm as someone who's paranoid about being like too smug or like braggy accidentally, <laughs> you know, sometimes that happens. Right. So I want like, I loved her calling herself out on that. Cause it like makes me look back on like how I approach talking about my journey or, you know, when I go talk to my friends, am I being like, like I live in Europe blah, 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 or am I being more authentic, you know? And I, I just, I really love that aspect. And I think it, it'll be a fun thing to revisit again. Like it's a book I can definitely keep coming back to in various points of my journey. Have you read those books that she mentioned in the book? And like, are you bragging generally about you reading certain books that other people wouldn't get through? No. Okay. I'm not that dedicated with my reading at this point in my life. I did on the topic. If you're asking me directly, I guess I'll admit that I have read Ulysses. No, like back in college when I was like studying literature, I was maybe a little bit more in that direction, but like, I'm not really competitive in that way now. But what's funny that you should ask that is my brother got me a couple books in German for Christmas this year, one of which yeah. was a bunch of Kafka stories. So once I finished this reread, I was like, oh, I do have that. And I'm trying to read more German. So I picked it up and I read The Metamorphosis. Okay. Could confirm, I can now officially confirm that like, I don't feel the same way about Kafka that she does. Like it was cool. It was like, and also just reading in German is like not that fun for me. So I'm probably not going to keep pushing through that particular book. But it, another thing that I love about books is when they inspire you to, to step out of your sort of bookish comfort zone and read yeah. something that you wouldn't otherwise. Like when I was a teenager and read Twilight and then the author was like, 
uh, a lot of it's inspired by Wuthering Heights. And then I read Wuthering Heights and I loved it. And I was like, <laughs> for fun outside of that channel. And so same thing here. Like I wasn't going to pick up Kafka otherwise, like, sorry yeah. to my brother, but that Christmas gift was sitting on the shelf. And I was like, one day, one day. But <laughs> this made me be like, hey, I wonder if I could read it. And also she loves it so much. and makes it sound so exciting. Maybe I'll try it. And yeah, I was, I was, I'll keep reading it here and there. And I, I do like it. And I do like knowing like, oh, I can read Kafka. That's cool. It's a nice, like it marks your progress, but it's not my, that's not my, my battle to, to fight. I don't need to conquer that Mount Everest. No, I'll stick to like German magazines or <laughs> Good. <laughs> so are there any other books that you would recommend to our sort of to the experts listening out there with regards to expert life in general? Not necessarily Germany or even Germany if you want. Yeah, there's one other book. I feel like they're trying to make it a thing where like Americans writing about Germany, they have books with like bright yellow covers because shortly after this book came out, Achtung Baby came out, which was an American who moved to Berlin and was raising a family there and talked about the differences in parenting and early childhood education. It was really okay. interesting. I really liked it. They're two totally different stories, but there's, I think, readers of this that liked it would like that one as well. And then more generally, I just like, especially as a librarian, like a book advocate, I want to say, read what you like. Like the book guilt I was talking about earlier, where I was like, even just now, like I should try reading in German more. And it's just not working for me. Yeah. I was trying to read more like impressive books a year and a half ago when my life was really stressful. And no, I needed to read like rom-com level books, right? Yeah. And once I started listening to myself and allowing myself to first off read in English and second off read things I wanted to read in that moment and not shooting in any way what I should be reading, it got so much better. And I was so much relieved because I was able to have mm -hmm. this experience that means so much to me, just losing yourself in a book. So mm -hmm. I just want to say like, my recommendation would be like, read what you want, push yourself for sure, especially if you're language learning, but don't be too hard on yourself. And if you need a moment with a romance novel or whatever it is for you, like, go for it. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Who cares what you read as long as like, if you want to read, read whatever makes you happy. Exactly. Are there any, any other questions that you think we should ask our future guests at Bookish Expat? Ooh. Uh, it's so circumstantial on the book, I think. But I guess I would be also interested in hearing, yeah, like how their expat journey and their reading journey have crisscrossed throughout, you know, like what, what someone's journey of, I used to read more of this, but now that you, you guys asked a little bit of that already, but I think that's really interesting. And I'd love to like have a whole like deep dive onto that. How that. Okay. And then last but not least, where can our listener find you online and, and listen to you and listen on to you? Yeah. So I have a podcast called the expat cast. I interview people about anything expatty related sometimes it's more resources sometimes my librarian side of me wins over and i'm like here are good quality resources for the problems <laughs> we're having sometimes it's more fun sometimes it's more just like let's just talk about what you're experiencing i think the my natural inclination is to talk a lot about the challenges of expat life and like breaking down the idea that people have that you're just like off living this wonderful vacation life. Like it's a, it's a really hard life living abroad and it doesn't matter where you came from or where you are, you're going to have a lot of emotional challenges. And we, we talk a lot about that. So you can find that anywhere. You get podcasts under the expat cast and then we're on social media, mostly uh, Instagram and Twitter at the expat cast. And Brilliant. you're probably too modest to say this, but there's a recent episode of the expat cast where Tatjana, it was the actual guest. <laughs> so yeah. I 
I highly recommend that one. That was super fun to listen to. There's also an amazing episode where Steph's the guest. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. Up. <laughs> okay, <laughs> the whole origin of bookish expats and all that kind of good stuff. You know, you know. <laughs> the three of us are spiraling into this like wonderful online connection of expats that's just seemingly like never ending in a really wonderful way. So yeah, both of you guys have been on my show. Now I've been on yours and yeah, like, their episodes are really, really great. I would recommend them. Yes. Absolutely. Great. Thank you so much, Nicole, for being on the Bookish Expats. Thanks for having me. This was a blast. It's Steph. Just one more time for this episode. This is the first episode for season four for Bookish Expats podcast. Hey, word of mouth is the best way to spread the word about this project, as messy as it sometimes may be. So please do help us by doing just that. Spread the word about Bookish Expats on and offline. The next episode will be out the last Friday in August. Panda time, also known as in China. So if you're in North America, that's a late Thursday evening. What day is that? It is August 30th for me, probably for at least half of you, according to my stats. It's going to be late Thursday night, the 29th of August. Who's coming on? That will be the one and only... That will be the one and only Tina Kanagaratam. She is one of the three founders of Historic Shanghai, an organization in Shanghai that in Shanghai, China, that arranges walking tours and many other events to educate people about the city's fascinating history. Tina and I are going to be talking about The Good Earth by Pearl S. Buck. Cool tip, I am actually listening to it on Audible, so it is available in Audible for you. So I need a few more thank yous before we head out. Of course, thank you so much to my co-interviewer for this episode, Tatjana. Her enthusiasm, insights, and humor were such an incredible delight to have. We were both reading the book separately but together in preparation for this episode. There were a lot of back and forths of, did you read this part yet? Oh my gosh, what about this? This part was hilarious. Wait, what did she do there? Yeah, we had all those moments. It was awesome. And a special shout out to her daughter who is reading up a storm in kindergarten. Yeah, you heard me. How times have changed. I remember reading Dr. Seuss at that age, but apparently she's reading versions of all kinds of English classics already. Wow. Also, thank you again to Damon Castillo for the background music we are using in this podcast. The song we're using today, we have switched from the last episode. It's called Body Blues, and it's still from the Mess of Me album. That is the album that he has graciously authorized us to use in uh, all three of these podcasts, Virtual Expats, Changing Scripts, and you guessed it, Bookish Expats. For those of you who are lucky enough to live in the central coast of California in the U.S. or have access to get there, he's actually playing, let's see, his next gig, his band's next gig is August 2nd, coming up very, very soon, 2019 at Mission Plaza in San Luis Obispo. At the end here, when I'm done talking, we will listen to that song, not just the instrumental version, but we'll listen to the song in its entirety, including Damon's mesmerizing voice. So stick around for just a little bit longer. I also want to thank the other voices in this podcast that gave us more creative edutainment projects to follow. Paul and Donna from the Farmits podcast. <laughs> I have to do that. <laughs> and Adela from the podcast Brunch Club. Thank you to all of them for making such thoughtful content. 
time and time and time again and for joining the voices here on the Bookish Expats podcast. I really adore all of you. The Bookish Expats, as I mentioned previously, has moved. It has moved. It is now over on the Virtual Expats site. There will be more changes. We're not done. So don't get too attached, but for now, you can find us over at virtualexpats.podbean.com. There's a lot of improvements in the mix for all of this stuff over the next few months, but I will definitely keep you in the loop, especially now that Podbean has the record on your phone option, which is super handy. I know it's not quite as crisp as this mic, my Samsung QTU, my love, my dear love. I'm, I'm loving my mic right now. This is something you should not do as a podcaster. Hey, yeah, so we've moved websites, and uh, but we haven't moved the main website right now yet. It's still stuffbuccio.weebly.com. Whatever changes I make, I will have redirects, forwards, notes, voice notes, all kinds of things to let you guys know what's happening. Anyway, if you want to contact me about any and all of this, anything, anything at all, I am stuffbuccio, S-T-P-H-F-U-C-C-I-O, absolutely everywhere online. It's also my Gmail address. I'm going to let Damon finish you out in a very groovy, groovy kind of way. Damon? Ain't it sad that you've never seen just how beautiful life can be? In fact, if I had to make a call, I'd say you never seen yourself at all. Just a flaw here and a flaw there when you're standing in your underwear. Girl, you don't have to buy anything. Confidence has always been free. But I can see you alone in a room. Wearing nothing but some sweet perfume. That's why I'm here if you so choose to lose your body blues. There's no fear. 
show